0: English author, English author and pastor John Bunyan said you have never really lived until you've done something for someone who has no hope of paying you back. For me, that's the best definition I've ever heard of what it means to be a giving, generous person. You know, when generosity or giving comes up in just casual conversation, when I'm talking with people, I've never heard anyone really ever object to the idea of being generous or of moving to a more generous place in their life. Almost everybody I talk to would like to do more, would like to give more, would like to serve more. They don't say, no, actually, I'd like to be a more stingy person. (laughs) I'd like to keep more for myself. In fact. It's just the opposite of that. And it's not a matter of wanting to do more. It's just finding a way in our busy lives, in our stretched thin lives, it's finding a path to get there. The Apostle Paul was writing to a group of Christians just like that in Corinth. That's who we've been talking about, studying about for the past three weeks in Second Corinthians 8 and 9. And he wanted at last to paint a picture for them of what a truly generous person looks like. And so he reaches back to a very familiar verse in the Psalms to paint that picture. And he quotes for them from the Psalms and he says, A generous person freely scatters their gifts to the poor and their righteousness endures forever. Now it's safe to say for many of us in the room like those Christians who were hearing this letter from Paul for the first time, there's a gap for us between where we are in our generosity and what this verse describes. We're not quite to the freely scattering stage, are we? The closest I ever got to freely scattering was when I heard a Pentecostal pastor offer an offering prayer, and he encouraged all of us in the room to reach into the pocket beside us, grab the person's wallet and give like we'd always wanted to give. I got this close to freely scattering. (laughs) But have you ever wondered what would happen if we could get to that place? If we could really let go of whatever it is that's holding us back, get past that hurdle and become a truly giving, truly generous person in our lives. How would it soften and change our hearts? How would it impact our day-to-day decisions? And what impact would it make in this church, in Westridge? And how would it change our impact in our surrounding communities if each of us took just a few steps forward in becoming a more generous person? Well, what could happen if we move towards generosity Made some better, bigger steps in that direction. Paul makes some pretty bold statements in the verses we're going to look at today as we wrap up this series. And the first one is this. If we can find a way to begin or to make some steps forward, we will grow in our generosity. Now, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 9 verses 10 and 11... Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. In Paul's time, farmers had two ways of planting seeds. The first was very time-consuming and tedious. You would, as a farmer, you could take the seeds individually or in groups of two or three, drop them in a row and cover them with dirt, just planting them a few at a time. This was really a scarcity method. It was a method a farmer would use if he was running out of hope, running out of seed. A method a farmer would use if he would consider that this harvest could actually be his last. The other method was much more common. And it was probably what we would imagine or what we've seen sketches of or even uh, pictures of methods that farmers use in cultures like that even today. Where the farmer would have a bag of seed slung over his shoulder and he would reach into the bag and grab a handful of seed and just scatter it, just throw it across the ground. It's a much more liberal, generous way of planting the seed. And it had the potential to produce a much greater harvest. A farmer that sows generously like that is literally acting in faith because the very seed that he's throwing on the ground could also be used to feed his family. He's taking food off the table and trusting that God's going to enlarge that into a greater harvest, more food, more money, more wealth for his family. The farmer trusts God with the seed he's putting in the ground, he trusts God with the food on the table. He trusts God on the front end of the deal, on the back end of the deal. And Paul, by this imagery, is encouraging us to learn to be dependent on God from start to finish in our lives. He's trusting, asking us to trust God to supply everything that we need. And to start being generous in the way that we sow with the money that we have, even if it's in a small way, to start somewhere in giving with our time, with our talent, with our money, and to trust that God will provide for us physically as we become more generous and that he'll grow us spiritually as we do to the point where, as he says in verse 11, we can be generous on every occasion where generosity is needed. Now, to be fair, it takes a while to learn to trust God in this. If you come into the church without any church background, in any relationship with God prior in your life, it takes time to learn to trust God. Because this is a countercultural message. It takes time to live differently, to live the way the Bible teaches. Our culture says live beyond your means, the Bible teaches live beneath your means. Give away a portion of what you make. Save a portion of what you make. That's not what our culture teaches. And so when we come into a a relationship with Jesus, it takes time to relearn things, to change our values, our everyday practices, our deeply ingrained habits, and learn to live like Jesus teaches. Honestly, it takes time to learn to work through the fear. And to learn to give away a portion of what we have. And trust that what's left will be enough to meet my needs. It took me a while to learn to be a generous person. I grew up in a Christian family. Some of you did. But even in my Christian family, my parents didn't teach us about giving. They didn't talk about it. And so it took me a while as an adult to grow into this discipline and practice in my life. But Paul says in this passage... When we begin to give, God enriches our lives in lots of ways. For some people that I've seen become generous people, that translates into, God blesses them with more money. That's not what the verse promises, but it happens in some lives. More often what I've seen is, and what I've witnessed in my own life is that when I started to live as the Bible teaches, according to the financial principles of Scripture, and we teach these in the Live Free Ministry and the Financial Peace University, what happens is the same amount of money I had before went further. It it felt like I got a raise. My needs got simpler. God stretched the dollars that I had as I became a more generous person. And either way that happens, as God enriched my lives, I learned... What Proverbs 11.25 says, A generous person prospers. And whoever refreshes others is himself refreshed. As I've grown in generosity, I've seen God bless me in ways I could not have imagined before. Second thing that God says is generosity kindles gratitude. Paul goes on to write, Through us, your generosity, the generosity of the church in Corinth will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you've proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ, and for your generosity in sharing with them and everyone else. Generosity has this ripple effect of gratitude. Paul says, on the community. Several times he says to the Corinthian church, your generosity towards the Christians in Jerusalem will result in gratitude springing up all over the region. Not only in the people who receive the gift, but in everybody who hears about it. It had already happened with the churches in the Macedonian region. They'd heard about what the Corinthian church was doing. And even though they were hard pressed and poverty stricken... These poor churches in Macedonia had decided they were going to give beyond their means as well to help with the the issue that was happening in Jerusalem. Generosity kindles gratitude. It leads to a pay-it-forward mentality. Usually when I find a generous person, if I dig deeply enough into their story, what I'll find is that somewhere along the way someone's been very generous with them. And it's kindled a generous spirit in them. Somebody gave to them. There was a man in the very first church that I was a part of in ministry who was like that. One year at Christmas time, he walked in and met with the church staff during our staff meeting and said he wanted to give a gift. And we were like, well, that's that's really nice. And he handed us a check for $10,000. And this was 25 years ago. It's a lot, a lot, still a lot of money. He said, I want this to go some very specific ways. He said, I'd like 5,000 of it to go to one family that's in a real serious need. I want 2,500 to go to another family, and then the other 2,500 you can divide up however you see fit. I only have one stipulation on the gift, and it's this. None of the people who receive the gift can ever know where it came from, and the gift is never to be spoken of outside of this room. And he said, I don't care if I ever know who gets the gift. I just want that to be the stipulation. It's a pretty generous gift. When I was able to talk with him later and dig into why he was giving the gift, it was a pretty interesting story. He said, you know, I grew up in a pretty poor household. I grew up, uh, just circumstances where he grew up as a pastor's kid. They never had much money in the churches where his dad served. And he said, so we were always struggling to make ends meet. But he said, in the church my dad served at the longest, there was one man who was always very generous with my dad. Always helped us, always gave, when it seemed like we were just at the end of our rope and didn't have any money to make ends meet. So "It made a big impression on me as a kid. And I remember praying as a kid and saying, God, I'm grateful for that man. And if you ever bless me to be able to make that kind of money I promise that I will be generous like him. And he said, I've just reached that point in my life. And I want to keep my end of the deal with God and be that kind of a generous person. And he did for many, many years while I was a part of that church. That same man's generosity in my life 25 years ago was what started me thinking about a different way to live to live open handed, to be generous rather than clutching and selfish and holding on. And it taught me that that attitude isn't really dependent on what's in my bank account. It's more about my heart. It's not about what I make and what I have. It's about who I am. And so we started to give based on watching what he did. Give to other people. Even at a point in our lives where we were poor enough to qualify for food stamps, we gave and helped others. It's not about money. It's about the heart. And about choices. Gratitude, generosity kindles gratitude and it has a ripple effect. Third thing Paul says is that when we become generous, God meets needs. And he does it in some amazing ways. Paul writes, this service that you perform in giving the gifts is supplying the needs of the Lord's people. I mentioned last week that this offering was that from Corinth was going to Jerusalem, where the Christians were in desperate need. And it was desperate. The church in Jerusalem had grown by this point to thousands of people. And they had no way to support themselves. And they literally were in need of the basic things of life. Food, clothing, shelter. And they were so large, the needs were so large, that there was no way that one church or one offering or one single gift from one person could take care of those needs any longer. So all the churches in the region were acting as one community to meet the need. Paul uses a very interesting word uh, for the gifts they are sending here. He says, this service that you perform." And in the original Greek language that the New Testament was written in, that word, service, has the same root as the English word we have, liturgy, or worship, an act of worship. Now sometimes when we talk about our offering time up here on the platform, you may hear one of us say something like, you know, we're going to give our gifts as an act of worship, or we're going to continue on with our worship. Worship, And you may have wondered why we would say something like that or what the connection is. The simplest definition of worship is that worship is an act or an expression of honor to God. Worship isn't something we do on Sunday morning. Worship isn't the three or four songs we sing before Darren or Gordon or I come up and give you a nap. Worship... Worship is something that we do that honors God. It's our entire lives. And specifically here, Paul says, worship is about giving our gifts. That is an act of worship that brings honor to God. And that's where that thought comes from, if you hear us mention that on a Sunday morning. Paul says, when we give our gifts, it's an act of worship that helps meet the needs of other people. It meets physical needs. It meets spiritual needs. And that's God's plan for how the church works. We create this generous community where some are able to give a little, some are able to give a little more, and some are able to give a lot. And when we all give generously, all the needs are met. We had a great example of needs being met in community just recently with the team that went to Haiti. When you think about giving and the team that went, the obvious thing that we think about is the 12 people who went and served. But it's actually much bigger than that because there were dozens and dozens and dozens of people who supported that team financially, made it possible for them to go. There were vendors who supplied things that the team needed to take with them to do the work. There were many of you beyond that, I would guess hundreds of people, who supported them in prayer. And a tremendous work was done uh, while they were there. To show you what was done and give you a little bit of the story of what happened, we just wanted to take a couple of minutes this morning and share this video with you to show you the result of the needs that were met through this generous community. It is amazing the needs that can be met when we're a generous community, when we give of our time, when we give of our resources. Paul praised the Corinthians, and we have deep gratitude for what we were able to do on this trip and what we do year-round as a church. Paul praised them for becoming a generous community. He says, when we do these kinds of things... We're showing an obedience that accompanies our confession of faith. Here, as in all of Paul's writings, he makes this assumption. Not just a command, he just assumes that we will be growing in obedience to what Jesus commands. If we say we follow him. That you and I would be able to take a look at the trajectory of our life over a year or five years or ten years. And say that in that time span, we are more like Jesus than we were a year ago, or five or ten years ago. And that includes having a generous heart. James echoes Paul's words when he writes, or Paul echoes James' words. And he says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such a faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and be well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is that? In the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. Lastly, Paul says, when we're a generous community, barriers will fall and bridges Will be built. There is a real irony in this whole story that can be easily missed. The Jews in Jerusalem needed help from the Gentile Christians in Corinth. Thousands of converts to Christianity in Jerusalem were still struggling to set aside their prejudice against the Gentiles. They had a level of fear and suspicion. Many of them were unable to accept the idea that Jesus had come to die and offer salvation to anyone other than the Jewish nation. God's chosen people. So what we have in this offering being sent from Corinth to Jerusalem is in fact the parable of the Good Samaritan being lived out in real time. Paul encouraged the Christians in Corinth saying, this single generous act has the potential to change the relationship between Jews and Gentile believers forever. Paul writes, in their prayers, the Jewish believers' prayers, in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given to you. This gift would impact so many people not just the believers in Corinth, not just the believers in Jerusalem, but everyone who heard about it. It would break down the barriers between the Jews and the Gentiles that had been in place for hundreds or thousands of years. It would bring credibility to the fact that Jesus did instruct Paul to reach out to the Gentiles with the gospel. It would cause Christians everywhere to begin praying for the growth and the expansion of the gospel. This simple act of giving had the potential to knit together all the believers into a tremendous community of faith by the grace of God. And that's what caused Paul to exclaim in verse 15, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift, grace. Because only grace could make this happen. Only grace could bring together bitter enemies and make them one in the body of Christ. Only grace could change the selfish tendencies of the human heart. Only grace would cause a person to surrender their hard-earned possessions to help someone who hates them. It's not normal. It's not natural. It's not logical. Only grace can break down those barriers. Only grace can build those bridges. Paul was reminding the church in Corinth and he reminds us of the simple, central message of the gospel of Jesus. Grace. Because when grace fully captures us, it turns us into generous people and it turns churches into generous communities. Serving together. Meeting needs together. Giving in ways that we never, ever thought were possible. Giving our lives away together so that more and more people can come to know this amazing love of God that has captured our hearts and changed our lives. And when we fully understand grace, we are left in awe of this God who would not only love us, but who would save us. And our whole view of life, who we are and what we have, changes. And We find ourselves offering humble prayers, just like David did when he said, but who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Because everything comes from you, God. And what we have given to you only is only what comes from your hand.